0: While summer vacation continues for many parents and kids, the question on their minds is, when will the school bell ring? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. The COVID-19 pandemic robs students of the year, forcing them to try and continue learning online from home. Now, this September, Ontario is pushing a hybrid model of in-class and online learning, although there are no, are no clear directions, so a lot's been left to the school boards to decide. It'll be a whole new world when students do sit down at their desks. There'll be challenges for teachers as well. Parents are in a limbo as the hybrid model of in-class and online learning will make child care a nightmare. Coming up on the unpublished cafe, we'll take a look at how students will return to school safely. Now, Ontario education minister, Stephen Lecce was invited on, but was unable to make the time opposition critic, Education opposition critic Marit Stiles will join us later, as well as Carol Campbell, Associate Professor in the Department of Leadership, Higher, and Adult Learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the U of T. First, let's get a view of the big picture and what's it's going to take to return to class. Jerome Cranston's the Dean of Faculty of Education at the University of Regina, and he joins us now. And, and Jerome, you've been hosting webinars for teachers navigating the pandemic. What are they telling you?
1: Uh, we hosted a webinar uh, over, over 12 weeks and heard from educators mostly from across the prairies. Um, they are both um, looking forward to getting back to classes, yet are doing so with tremendous apprehension and anxiety. They want to be in classes with kids. It's what they enjoy most in terms of their profession, if they are concerned for the well-being of their students, for themselves and their families.
0: Now, the, the deans of education you've been speaking with as well as you being a dean of education at the University of Virginia. What, what, what concerns of, you know, in, in the bigger picture for the deans of education?
2: I think
1: one of the things that we've talked about, you know, the 50 plus deans of education who meet regularly is, uh, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, Canada, uh, you know, is a federation of provinces and we have tremendous diversity in a, in a lot of fronts. Uh, I think that the concern is that the diversity is also lending itself to the fact that every jurisdiction at provincial level and even in some cases local authorities are doing their very best to come up with models, hybrid models, uh, Copernican system, quarter systems, block schedules. Yet there doesn't seem to be any coherence um, or necessary research base for which of these systems might work best.
0: Now, you'd like to see a a pan-Canadian approach. Why is that?
1: I think uh, Dr. Theresa Tam uh, has provided a lot of leadership, which has then informed provincial health authorities on how to move forward specific to their provinces. I think similarly, we could pull together a group at a pan-Canadian level, not to dictate all of the conditions, but to provide a sense of leadership. We have a Council of Ministers of Education in Canada who actually have a mandate of pan-Canadian leadership in education. The Canadian Teachers Federation in many cases Uh, represent the various provincial and territorial teacher associations. The Canadian Education Association represents uh, parents and school boards. And then we have our group, the Association of Canadian Deans of Education. I think bringing those groups together with some of the national leaders in terms of epidemiology uh, and infectious health could provide a broad framework for how best to move forward.
0: And in in terms of moving forward from, from what you've seen so far, how do you like to see? How would you like to see education move forward?
1: Well, I think you know we're going to see some school reopening. I think there has to be a hybrid model. I don't think Ontario is off base with what they're proposing. Similarly, I'm not suggesting that we, we need to do the same in Saskatchewan or Manitoba. Um, so I think the notion that schools are going to open is important. I really do think. Uh, there needs to be a conversation with teachers who are going to be the equivalent of the frontline workers uh, in the classrooms. And from what I've heard, at least in Saskatchewan, uh, that hasn't happened to the level I think it should. I think we're going to have to be prepared for um, clusters and hotspots to occur and have plans in those cases uh, to come up with a, a remote alternative. I think we also need to recognize as much as there is some uh, chatter that seems to be coming across um, that, you know, students' health is in peril if schools don't reopen. The alternative of reopening too soon is going to put teachers, their families, students and their families in jeopardy. So I think we really need a thoughtful, measured approach as we go to reopening.
0: Jerome Cranston is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He is the Dean of the Faculty of Education at the University of Regina as we talk about students going back to school in September in the pandemic. And, and you know, we talk about education and, and you know, what, what this pan-Canadian approach would look like, but, you know, provinces, and we saw this with long-term care, they don't like federal meddling.
1: No, I absolutely agree. So I, I recognize that. Uh, you're absolutely correct. In fact, you know, the way that the schooling in Canada um, is constructed according to the Constitution if provinces have the authority. So it's not like anyone's doing anything incorrectly now. I just think that if we were to follow a very similar model that's come out of Health in Canada, and again provinces have provincial mandate on health care, uh, I think there's at least a general framework where we could have uh, informed discussions which then uh, could be used uh, on the more detailed plans that provinces develop. So you're absolutely right, Ed. Uh, at provincial level in education, nobody wants federal meddling either. But I do think we've seen a real bright spot in terms of um, public health and coming out of at Tan's office that can, uh, you know, paint a, a picture for how we might be able to move forward.
0: What What do you see as the biggest challenge to students returning to class in September?
1: Um... I think one of the things that I haven't heard a lot about is uh, the actual, what we refer to as the physical built environment of school, so um, not dismissing the significance that um, COVID-19 as a virus is going to create, you know, what those physical environments are going to look like and the impact they have on learning. We know that everything from classroom setup to desk location to proximity for students so the way that students flow through classrooms actually has an effect on their learning and development. So if they're brought back to schools, I think uh, there needs to be more thought to the impact that those physical environments actually have. Uh, about a month ago, a number of leading uh, pediatricians out of province, Quebec, uh, penned a letter saying that given um, the low prevalence of incidents outside that younger age school children should be allowed to mingle freely on playgrounds. I think we really have to give serious thought to what those physical environments are going to look like when students return back to school.
0: Jerome, thank you for joining us.
1: You're very welcome, Ed. Good luck with the rest of the day.
0: Jerome Cranston is the Dean of the Faculty of Education at the University of Regina. Now, students for the most part in Canada have not been in a classroom since March, and there will be a lot of adapting to do. Carol Campbell's Associate Professor in the Department of Leadership, Higher and Adult Learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education at the University of Toronto. And Carol joins us now. And let's talk about students missing schools since March. What kind of an impact does this have on their ability to learn and on their well-being?
2: Ed, we don't fully know the outcomes from what's happened. Obviously, we have never seen something like this where Students were out of school for a prolonged period, unexpectedly. Around the world, 1.6 billion students were out of school. So what we know from previous research, for example, over the summer break, is that uh, when students are not in school, sometimes their learning does not progress uh, as much as we would want or hope, particularly students that are struggling. However, these students were not on summer break. They were still receiving remote learning. So teaching and learning was still happening. So for some students, they actually have enjoyed being home. They're calmer, they're happier. But of course, on the other extreme, there are students for whom this has been extremely serious. They're disconnected, disadvantaged Falling back in their learning, uh, and in some severe cases, there have been issues of, of health and abuse and trauma. So, so we're going to see students with a wide range of experiences when when they return to the next school year.
0: How, how will you know, or uh, an educator, a teacher will know if if uh, a student, when we go back in September, is struggling with their with their learning or their well being?
2: Yeah. So that's the so at the start of the school year. Part of the process is to use to use assessment within your classroom through homework, sometimes through diagnostic assessments, to have a sense of, of where a student is in terms of their learning, where they're struggling, what support they need. So, so that's something that teachers are trained to do. That's going to be especially important this year to see where students have progressed or not over the past what will end up being six months since the pandemic began.
0: Now, let's talk about online learning. How would you characterize the online learning in Ontario to finish out the year?
2: So Ontario moved, uh, like many provinces, to emergency response remote learning. So online learning, to to really do online learning well, it's something that you need to plan over time. So your way of teaching online is different. It's not as straightforward as you. You do a Zoom video and you just post the same resources. So I teach online. Uh, you know, it's something that needs planning. So I do want to give credit to teachers because they had to turn around in a couple of days and move to online. Um, but what we do know is that we do not have, we do not have universal access to internet in Ontario. Not every student has a personal device. Not every student has someplace quiet to study when they're not in school. So if online learning is part of the future scenario, we really need investment in making sure that every every student and indeed every, every teacher has high quality online learning resources to you know, support
0: them. It's, it's always been a big issue in Ontario. Rural areas have such terrible or spotty access to Wi-Fi and meanwhile in the in the cities they would have it as well but there's obviously a number of people who would be uh, would be on the outside looking in now you've written a list of 10 things for policymakers to consider for reopening and you mentioned looking at where it was done successfully where would you look to?
2: so Denmark was one of the very first countries in in Europe but also in the world to reopen. And they have largely been successful. By the start of June, over 20 countries had reopened. So it's not just Denmark. Now we have several countries that you could look at to be successful. And there are some common themes when you look across those countries.
0: And the common themes are?
2: Yeah. So the first piece is, um, the first priority is to get the rate of infection of COVID-19 down in the community. So, so for Canada that's important. The summer is crucial because if there's community spread, when schools reopen, the spread goes into schools and vice versa. So the first thing is you have to you have to get the infection under control as much as possible. Second is a phased reopening. So in Denmark they started with some year groups first and then gradually built up. BC has done the same successfully here in Canada. So it's not everybody back to school on the first day of school. I mean, that has implications. The other piece is a staggered start times to the school day, because there's going to need to be more, more buses. There's not going to be encouragement of students to to walk or to cycle if that's safe and if they're able to so that you can control how many people arrive at school at the same time. Then within school, there has to be public health, so uh, compliance, so that's physical distancing. In some countries, masks are being used, um, but less students in a classroom. Our, our classrooms are not sufficiently big for a two-metre square around a student, so that means you need to find more space for more classrooms, whether that's repurposing of space in schools, if it's available, community space, uh, and also use of outdoor learning where that's a possibility because outdoor things, things are easier. Um, obviously, public health protocols, hand washing, cleaning, what to do when somebody has symptoms or somebody is diagnosed as positive, and then the supports around schools so that there is a availability of child care, and as I've mentioned earlier, there's availability of online learning.
0: Carol Campbell is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, Associate Professor in the Department of Leadership, Higher and Adult Learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education at the University of Toronto, and you brought up a point that is something I haven't heard too much about uh, in this whole thing about returning to school. And that's busing. I've heard very little about an approach to busing. It seems like you obviously you're going to have students spread out, but uh, has there been an approach to this yet?
2: Yeah. So here in Ontario, our ministries have put out some guidelines around busing. Um, so basically as long as physical distancing is required, there can be less students in a bus. And obviously the driver has to have PPE. And, um, that has huge implications. I mean, I live in Toronto, but in rural areas too, you know, we're going to need more buses um, or we're going to need to move to staggered entry into school so that buses can be rotating, but then you have cleaning implications. So transport is a big issue. Like you, I worry that it's, Uh, It's certainly not been part of the the public messaging from our government, uh, and there's not funding being provided around these implications. But children have to leave school and arrive at school healthy, and of course, they're going back and forward to homes and communities, so we have to minimise any transmission of, of infection.
0: You know, we mentioned Ontario is offering that hybrid of in-class and online learning. And many medical professionals, including Ottawa's Medical Officer of Health, is pushing for five days in class. Which offers the best opportunity for students?
2: Well, the ideal is five days in class. I mean, we, we, of course, want high quality teaching and learning for our students. We've already talked about inequities for disadvantage. So we want to support students not only with their learning, but address any mental health issues uh, and their well-being. But that only works if it's safe. So we have to make sure that it's done safely. And, and that will mean significant changes within our schools to comply with public health. Um, our schools, many schools don't have individual student desks. Students work around tables, they rotate round learning spaces. Not all of our schools have sufficient sinks for hand washing. So while the ideal is to get everybody back into school, and some education systems are doing that now, um, I don't want to underestimate that we can only do that in a way that's Safe and that requires investment to make
0: it safe in schools. Carol, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Pet. Carol Campbell's associate professor in the Department of Leadership, Higher and Adult Learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education at the University of Toronto. Now, all the changes on the horizon for school and school boards are going to add to the education price tag. Marit Stiles is the opposition education critic and the MPP for Davenport, and she joins us now. And Marit, why are you not a fan of the plan to return to school in September?
3: Well, you know, actually, I, I, my concern has been that the government uh, and particularly the Minister of Education have been so unclear uh, and have also been sort of changing uh, their expectations with boards uh, for months now. Uh, my concern is that there doesn't seem to be a clear plan coming from the province. And also that any of the things that they're demanding of boards are going to Going to cost money they're going to mean um, additional resources and support more staff uh, and so far the government has yet to really uh, put up any additional resources and commit that and so I'm concerned that without those resources uh, any plan to bring students back in the fall uh, will either fail or maybe not safe enough for our kids.
0: Now you've tabled an emergency action plan to return to class in September what is the plan?
3: Right. So, I mean, among other things, and, and, and these are all um, have come from um, many months now of, mm-hmm. of consultation with parents and students and, uh, and experts, you know, the educators like Dr. Campbell. Um, so, things like uh, putting together an advisory group that actually represents some of the frontline workers as well as parents and students. Uh, and of course, education experts. This is something the government has failed very dramatically to do. Um, resources, including additional funding to cover what additional staff will be needed if we're going to have smaller. And what we ultimately want is more smaller classes, right? Uh, but I've also said, you know, we need to protect parents. We need to make sure that uh, staff are protected. And so to do that, we need to make sure that there is paid sick leave for families so that they don't have to worry that if their kid is sick one day or not feeling well, they can afford to keep them home and stay home from work if they need to. Um, and and there needs to be an investment in childcare. Uh, so far, the government's kind of said, hey, childcare centers, go ahead, open up. Uh, but what we know increasingly is that uh, there will not be enough child care spaces uh, available for families uh, coming into the fall and certainly not if there is some sort of rotating modified model of going back to school.
0: Yeah, that that's uh, one of the big questions sort of hovering over families through this summer is, you know, what happens if we have a, a you know, the, the hybrid they talk about two days in, in, in school learning, two days at home and, and then who, who stays home with the kids? Is there any childcare? There's a there's a lot of like open ended questions here.
3: Oh, yeah. And I mean, I would say, honestly, um, in the last few weeks, I think we've really seen a lot of families. You know, we got we got through that terrible period. Right. We figured it out. Some people uh, were still frustrated with the way that this kind of emergency remote learning worked and, and and a lot of people lost their jobs. We know that. But but then all of a sudden the realization hit, oh, my goodness, this could be continuing like this in the fall. And it might even be a more bizarre format where you have one kid, one of your children going to school one day and another child going the next day. How do working families manage that? And so I'm hearing from a lot of people, particularly women, I have to say, who are who find themselves in a position of having to choose between their jobs, uh, if they're lucky enough to still have one and, and supervising their children. And, you know, really that's no choice at all. And it will damage our chances of economic recovery.
0: Marit Stiles is joining us in the Unpublished Cafe. She is the opposition education critic and the MPP for Davenport as we talk about students returning to school in September. Now, the education minister didn't feel there was enough uptake of the video conference learning at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, it was part of the problem, rural broadband, because we do know in Ontario, rural broadband is at best bad.
3: Oh, my goodness. Yes. And, you know, we've heard so many times, so many promises from this government already in the last two years of, you know, a a radical expansion of broadband. We have not seen that happen. Uh, A lot of our MPPs, uh, NDP MPPs in the north have been have been calling for this. I think any plan to return to school has to address that as well. Um, But look, you know, this whole issue of having us have these what they call the minister calls it synchronous learning. In other words, you know, basically live time online with your teacher. And that is, you know, that's one thing that some teachers have made work, but the problem is it doesn't work for every family or for every teacher. And so teachers know this, right? They'll know, you know, which families are juggling, a um, terrible broadband or maybe they only have one device that everybody every kid in the household is sharing for school so sometimes it just doesn't work and uh, i think we need to appreciate to some extent uh that you know certainly the professional judgment of our teachers you know who know their classrooms and know what's working and the, some tools will not work for every classroom
0: do you feel students need to be in class five days a week
3: You know, I think that uh, I think the ideal would be that we could get to that place in a safe way. But I think that that will absolutely no question require um, a significant investment in personal protective equipment and infection control in our schools. It also means we have to have these smaller class sizes, which means we have to to do that. We'd have to we have to almost double up our number of teachers. We have to vastly increase the number of staff and supports. And we have to find additional space in some cases, some school boards are talking about, you know, mothballed classrooms that, you know, maybe they'll be reopening now. Uh, Not every area of the province has that luxury. So, uh, and and the other big issue for a lot of boards is busing. Uh, Busing is uh, a massive cost to boards. It's, It's never, it has been not addressed by governments, liberal or conservative in many years, not adequately. And a lot of the boards are really Not sure how they're going to get kids to class at all. So there are many big hurdles. But what's really missing here is the provincial government coming forward with a commitment to providing the resources so we can get our kids as many of our kids back to school as possible in a safe and healthy way.
0: What would you like to see in Ontario's plan that's not there now?
3: Well, for sure. I would like to see um, a commitment, a financial commitment from the government uh, to more space. I I really do also feel that even though the government keeps saying they've added money for mental health and, you know, there's really no new dollars there. And I think we're going to have to, you know, get real here, you know, young people, uh, whether you're in kindergarten or you're in grade nine, you know, it's been a really rough time. And, uh, and there are going to be a lot of challenges for a lot of students, including a lot of, you know, trauma actually come from this. So we need to make sure they're supported. We need to make sure our staff are supported. And to be honest, like when people keep saying to me, well, you know, you know, that's going to cost a lot. And I say, but what, what more important investment could there be? Uh, we it's not just about, you know, getting our obviously it's about our children, which is important. It's also about our economy. Again, we cannot uh, we cannot restart this economy unless uh, people unless we have childcare schools up and running. And we can't do that. We can't expect families to send their children back or teachers to go to work if they don't believe they can be their kids
0: are going to be safe. Marit, I want to thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: Marit Stiles is the NDP opposition education critic and MPP of Davenport. And this leads to our unpublished dot vote question. Do you feel comfortable seeing students back in school in September? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now to have your say. I want to thank Jerome Cranston, Dean of the Faculty of Education at the University of Regina. Carol Campbell, Associate Professor, Department of Leadership, Higher and Adult Learning at the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the U of T. And Marit Stiles, the NDP opposition critic and MPP for Davenport. And I want to thank you for listening to The Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.